It's a competitive game, you know what I mean, with it, with other people, and I usually win the spot, you know what I mean. But, but I never like, hey, I'm a bad. I, I don't know. I just, I'm just like, I'm just trucking along. You know what I'm saying? Because I will tell people, hey, I'm a badass motherfucker. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Venice edition. Today we have Luigi Mayorga the bass player of your favorite Suicidal tendency songs, some of which he co-wrote. He's also the leader of Suicidal. Louis is the uncle of Mike Bravo, who we met in our first episode on our tour around Venice. Luigi and I talked about all the things that you want. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, and my socks. Afterwards, we walked down the road a little and ran into Brew, the producer you met just in the last previous Venice episode. This is how that neighborhood is. All your buddies are right there in walking distance, working, creating, recreating. On our little stroll, I asked Louie, oh my God, I totally forgot to ask you about the Pepsi in your biggest hit, Institutionalized. Why a Pepsi and not Coke? And he said, well, they didn't want people to think that they were talking about the drug cocaine. So they made it Pepsi. Fair enough. So let's jet over to Louie's front yard where we sipped on IPAs. I mean, soda pops. We're talking to Luigi. Is that your given name? Well, I was, my, my, on my birth certificate, it says uh, Louis Manuel Mayorga, right? So, but I was born, I was born uh, premature, two months. So, my mom would hold me and say, I'm her little Luigi. Instead of Louis, little Luigi, Luigi. So that's my family. Everyone called me Luigi. That's so sweet. Uh, I weighed four pounds exactly. How about that? Were they worried about you? Yeah. In fact, they thought I was dead. And my mom was hemorrhaging. And uh, they wanted to save her life. And then all of a sudden, I started kicking in. And they went and got me because I started making noises. But they were worried about my mom because she did a C-section. And she was losing a lot of blood. So... Now, uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? So, I mean, let me count. Okay, so with my mom and my dad, personally, there's eight of us. Pretty much a year and a half apart, all the way up. Eight kids? With my mom and my dad, yeah. In this house? No. My dad owned the one next door and the one that next door from there. He's a hardworking man. He was but, a gardener. But what, a, what an era where a gardener could own three houses. Oh, he owned more than that. I think when he died, he had like five or six. From gardening? From gardening. And he died around 91, 92. Did he teach you how to garden? No. I mean, I, I worked for him. I mean, uh, I mean, I know a little couple of things, but eh, how, I mean, how much can you learn when you're nine? And that was the only time you get to hang out with your dad because they're broken up. You want to hang out with dad, you, you know, you know, you're going to work. And then sometimes he'd leave you there with the, with the paisa workers. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Paisas Mexicans from Mexico. <laughs> They probably weren't too happy with my dad, so, you know, they got, they got to take care of me while my dad left, and it was a blast. <laughs> Not really. They made me do all the bullshit work, you know. Pulling the weeds. Pulling weeds on your hands and knees and shit. For well, reals. Was this here in Venice, or was this somewhere this else in was, L.A.? My dad was, um, he was a, uh, all over Bel Air, Beverly Hills. He worked all in Beverly Hills, where the money was, Century City. Um, was it cool to be in those neighborhoods as a little kid? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, he did like um, that old guy, 
Oh God, what's the guy from Oh God? Oh, George Burns. George Burns. We had that was the, one of the accounts. Robert Mitchum you, in Malibu. You, you tended the grass of God. Yes, and actually, uh, we would see him all the time sitting by the pool, talking to himself. He was very old at that time, and it was after school when I got you know exed out of suicidal tendencies. I started helping him. I was older. Really. So it was funny because he went to, he gave, I must have been 27, 28, and he gave us his box seats to the Dodger game. It was really cool. We were like right next door to the band, you know? Wow. We are the chosen one of you. Suicide will make a Let's start with the high school. What high school did you go to? Uh, I went to uh, Santa Monica High. Samo High. Samo High. You graduated? Graduated. What year? 81. I didn't know I was graduating until that day. I was a horrible student. I just wanted to play music. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I, I bought the gown anyway because I was like hoping I'd graduate. And, and uh, while everybody was getting in line, I had to go to the history building to get my uh, report card to see if I graduated. And it was that, you know, right then and there was when I found out I was graduating. So, Your parents weren't on your back to make nah, this happen? Nah, man, my mom was done, dude. She had like 11 kids. I think, I didn't even know she went. I know my, I think, I think she went, my brother went to the graduation. My dad was like, you know, whatever. He, Yeah, so whatever. But yeah, so. I was, moved here in 1984. And I would drive right past Samo High. And I came from Illinois. I've never seen so many pretty girls in my life. Oh. Is that how you felt when you were going to high school too? Yeah. It's crazy, right? It was, uh, yeah, there was like women, like, you know, <laughs> back then, you know, they wore less or the, you know, the bras were real thin, you know what I'm saying? So were you playing music in, in Samo High, in high school? Did you play in like the regular band too? No, like... no, no. I was uh, playing in just like, you know, after school bands, you know, friends getting together and which, you know, is a trip because uh, a lot of times these these bands were, um, they weren't really bands. They were like jam bands. We wouldn't finish. They'd go on for 30 minutes and basically, you know, using my ass to play rhythm while they play lead for 30, you know, you know, uh, fucking. They noodle. Uh, evil woman for fucking 30 minutes. Black magic woman. You know what I mean? But what I found out was later in life was that it really helped my timing. And it was part of my creativity, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know, I got, re I, you know, my main band was back then was, was Led Zeppelin. Yes. And I was all in the hooks and riffs, yes. the guitar. So all the songs you hear that I wrote, I wrote them all on guitar. There's a video of you uh, teaching people how to play institutionalized. And you're doing it on an acoustic bass. Bass, yeah. And that makes it kind of look like you did it on... Um, on bass? I've been playing guitar as long as I've been playing bass. Yeah. So I'm lucky that I've, like, I'm a badass rhythm guitar player. I don't do leads. I'm not a, but rhythmically, uh, I'm pretty competitive. I'm really good. And so, and like I said, I learned all those songs on guitar. You know what I'm saying? But in, in Lewis Seidel, you're still playing bass. I mean, you can do whatever you want. In your well, own now, band. you haven't seen lately, I've been playing guitar. Oh. I've done three shows where now we got five members in the band. Okay. And so, and actually, it's 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 great. So, my bass playing is, it's badass, bro. Right. Listen, 
rhythmically. And I have my right hand as like a whip. And I'm like, and I'm pushing the beat, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's part of our thing. And the drummers, we're feeding off each other. So now with guitar, I'm, I'm doing the same thing rhythmically, like with these um, with these rhythms and Lewis Saddle and institutionalized beat, whatever. On the guitar, when I'm with Lewis Saddle, it's, um, it went from that fucking crazy ass bass rhythm, now it's the crazy ass rhythm guitar. Because yeah. my right hand is like a fucking whip, dude. <laughs> what, what guitar are you playing? I'm using a, a Tele Deluxe, mm -hmm. made in Mexico. Great guitar. Great guitar. Um, I use that. I use it. I use this Harmony guitar, an old Sears guitar. Are you uh, intentionally trying to find Mexican instruments? Uh, no, they're just cheaper. <laughs> but remember, it's not. It's it's not the uh, it's not the instrument. It's this. You can have a bullshit amp or a bullshit guitar, but without this, you know, you're all, it's all bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, for those of you who aren't in his uh, front yard, he's he's showing me his fingers. So, but but you know, great equipment does help. Right. You know, like um, Eddie Van Halen, he had great equipment. He had a sound that nobody had. He freaked everybody the fuck out. But I I hear that he could pick up any guitar and it would still sound like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, because he had these. He had his hands. Let's go back. Let's stay in high school, though. Was there a moment in high school where you realized that you were better than most people? No. At base? No. Uh, I knew I was competitive. When did you realize that you were actually a real musician and you could do this? Okay. A little, a well, little... this is before this is before uh, all that realization. Um, I think it was seventy-five, seventy-six. We got our candy wrappers, and we went to the Criterion. And got blown away. We watched uh, the song "Remains the Same" when it came out, and I was like, what "The fuck!" It was all bright. It was matinee. I'm like, "What the fuck was that?" So I got even more intense about it. You know what I mean? You were into Led Zeppelin as a young man. When I came out to Led Zeppelin, I was like, "Oh!" I was like, "I was like, what the fuck?" You know what I'm saying? That was the point where I knew I wanted to be a part of that. You know, I want. I, that's. I focused on it. Sometimes I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. They're like, I try hard to do it and I like take my time but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. It's like I concentrate on real hard but it just doesn't work out. And everything I do and everything I try, it never turns out. It's like I need time to figure these things out. There's always someone there going, hey Mike, you know, we've been noticing you've been having a lot of problems lately, you know? You maybe get away. And like, maybe you should talk about it, you'll feel a lot better. And I go, no, it's okay, you know? I'll figure it out. Just leave me alone, I'll figure it out, you know? I'm just working on it myself. They go, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'll be here, you know? And you'll probably feel a lot better if you talk about it. So why don't you talk about it? I go, no, I don't want to, I'm okay. I'll figure it out myself. And they just keep bugging me. They just keep bugging me, there's pills on the side It's got me, it's too slime, so come afraid with what's not You won't have anything, I'm afraid what you can see away I'm not crazy, here's the design You're the one that's crazy, here's the design You're driving me crazy, here's the design They take me in and institute, you said what's the only solution To give me need for fast love, to take me from the enemy myself Did you grow up listening to Rodney on the Rock, on K-Rock? Yeah Did you like his show? Yeah, yeah it was on Saturdays, right? Sunday nights. Sunday nights. That's what I remember hearing the Go Go's. We got the beat 
first came out. But I think it was before the album. I think it was like a a single. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't so polished as the, the, the you know the go gos we know. Right. And other bands, you know, talking heads. But with us, we got lucky, dog. There was something about it. You know what I mean? There was something about it. And one of the things was that song that you co-wrote, Institutionalized, made it on MTV somehow. Thank you. <laughs> it made it on MTV. It made it on Iron Man. It made it on fucking, you know, Miami Vice. We, but 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 MTV was playing like Michael oh. Jackson. Yeah, that and, MTV, and like that it's kind of soft stuff. But this is not a soft song. No. But you know what's good? We had a, a great director, producer. It was Bill, Bill Fishman. It was Fishman and Preacher. And they were a team. Um, and they were I, they were already good. I mean, I guess I, I guess I don't even know who paid for that. I think the label must have paid. By that, you know, I wasn't so much in the into the business side of the band. I let Mike, you know, deal with all that shit. And uh, so anyway, they got these, you know, incredible directors. I think they had done. I think it was, must have been after that, but they did um, Fishbone videos. Yeah. Fishbone, they're in the first, they're in that institutionalized video. Mm-hmm. So, but, so anyway, that's what happened. They had a vision, and then, and they did a proper video, which, yes. you know, you can't go half-stepping with MTV no. in the early 80s, you know what I'm saying? Or I mean, mid-80s, it was like, the album came out in 83, I think we did the video in 85, because, mm-hmm. why not, I mean, we were, it was blown up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you remember the first time you heard it on the radio? Nah, I just remember it being on the radio. Yeah. You know, uh, but I remember the, the I watched the first time it was on MTV with my family and my mom. It was a trip. So, you know, and I think it's a fucking a great video. You know, the colors, the skateboarding, you know, the whole smelling vibe of it. You know what you I mean? You feel like you're in this guy's house. Yeah, and I'm, ta- I'm talking about the warehouse scenes. Right. You know, the, you know Tom Araya pushing them and... <laughs> And that was all right here in the marina. Really? But they knocked it down and then I saw Ralph's and the yeah. condos where the 90 is. But that's where we did it. Um, there used to be an arcade over there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I'm watching it with my mom and everything. And uh, then I get up, whatever. And I come back and I go, so, Mom, what did you think? She goes, I like this song. And it's fucking modern English. I'll stop the world uh, for you. And what? I was, like, I was like, yeah, but that was my mom. You know, she, <laughs> that was my mom. You weren't really writing music for moms, though. It was funny because moms let us practice underneath the house. We had a big basement, and that was headquarters for a while. And it was funny because my mom oh, babysitting, yeah. and then so we're playing music, and all of a sudden we hear, oh, no. Like, all right, mom, all right. And then we'd go up and, you know, we'd make burritos. She'd make us burritos. <laughs> She'd feed the band. It was a fucking great life. Was this in Venice that you had a house with a... This is Santa Monica. My dad's house in Santa Monica. He moved us out of there because, you know, my, my brother was a gangster. It was too just too dangerous. Oh, so really? he moved us to his house in Santa Monica on 3rd in Dogtown. I grew up all around Dogtown. You know, 3rd and Strand. That's the epicenter around there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So... Were you a skateboarder back then? Hell no. It was horrible. I would skateboard, but I wanted a board. I wanted to try to be like those dudes because I'd go hang out, you know, every on the summers, you know, at Station, you know, 25, or I don't know what it is, 
straight down Ocean Park, and that's where we were all kicked it. Jay, all those dudes. But I really didn't know Jay that well. I was just a little Mexican kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying out, you know, the, all the chicks were beautiful, dude, you know. Were there a lot of Mexicans at Samo High when you were going to school there? Yeah. It was a very diverse place, right? Yeah, it was It was diverse. Uh, a lot of whites, a lot of, not you know, those Mexicans, and some blacks, but, you know, predominantly white school, I think, yeah. back then anyway. But I wasn't trying to be no gangster because I seen what it did to my mom, you know what I mean? And so I, 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 I was just, you know, I was just played music and I was on the football team. What position? Uh, offensive tackle. So you were a big guy. Kind of big. You got to be big for that. Mike Muir was on the same team. Mike Muir was on the same team. What did he play? A second string <laughs> offensive tackle. He was big? He was big. Fucking He's big. stocky. He's stocky. He's not dude. tall, though. No. Maybe an inch or two more than me, but he was a big white boy. And I remember like there was like a week and a half where I didn't go to practice. I might have missed the game. I was just like, whatever. I came back. And guess who's first string? He beat you? Well, I was gone. The coaches were like, fuck oh. you. He's in. But that's the, that's a funny little story. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's true. So let's talk a little bit more about Mike. Because, I, he, you know, I, I don't want to bash, you know, but I, if you want to, go ahead. I don't know what you're going to do. I, I'm not here to bash anybody. Okay, go ahead. Uh, you two wrote those songs together. Yes. Was there a brotherhood right away between you two? Absolutely. And so when I say these songs, obviously the the, the most songs collectively we did together, you know. Right. I mean? Right. And some of the songs that he wrote on that first album, like I Saw Your Mommy and Your Mommy is Dead. Yeah. Some of the darkest songs I've ever heard as a young man. Yeah, and and he was very young when he wrote that. He was like eighteen. But he, he wrote that with one of the Dunnigan brothers. I don't know who they are. They were the guys that that got me. That you know, I had an audition with them because they were the bass. It was a guitar player and the drummer. Oh, okay. Two brothers, the Dunnigan brothers. Okay. And Mike Ball. So I don't know who. It was either Mike Ball or Dunnigan that wrote those handful of songs on the first album that say, just say suicidal tendencies. I see. But but okay. So all I'm saying is, the Mike ones that are only credited to him on that first album, incredibly. There's. there's I don't think there's. I think there's just one or two. Like that one, and uh, there's another one. But but my point is, okay. when you're involved with him, to me, and, and I'm not dissing anybody, they're more well-rounded songs. They aren't as dark. I mean, there's it's still teen angst, but it's not like, I mean, that's almost a horror movie. <laughs> Some of his yeah, lyrics. but yeah, I hear you, and it, and it sounds great, man. We had great engineer, good producer, Glenn yeah. Friedman. Um, but if you get a chance to hear some demos, those songs demo, yeah. like before I was in the band, it was like, <laughs> so you know, now you are uh, dissing people. Well, I mean, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not dissing. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, and then, and then we got a real drummer with Amory. Fuck, we were incredible. Dude. You're ready to go. And then we got Grand Estes, one of my high school guitar players. Where did you record the uh, that record? Sun Valley. I, f I forgot the name of the studio. In Sun Valley. It was in Sun Valley. Wow, I don't know of any studios over there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of studios there, right? Because huh. I hear there's lots of studios in Sun Valley. But interesting. Yeah. When I do those neighborhoods, I'll find out. 
So, um, you were also in uh, the next two records. What's your favorite song on Join the Army? You know, the one, the ones that I wrote with Mike. I like them all. I mean, right. something. I mean, how can? And you're still playing a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I really like "Warns on My Head," like the intro. Yes. Uh, "Possessed Escape." Yes. That's kind of, of like my homage to Led Zeppelin because it's like basically the same rhythm as rock and roll. I'll have to AB those. Rock and roll, and uh, and it also has a, the intro to "Possessed Escape." has a little couple kisses of like X. Like, you know that song, uh, Living with a White Girl? Living with Don't Don't nah, 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 nah. I kind of, you know, I, it's not that I took parts from these songs. It was more like when I when I was writing them and I, and I kind of finished them, I go, I've been listening to fucking X. And that's why. And that's, and that's my little thing of X. And then also uh, Crazy Train. Yes. Ozzy, the little, the chorus, that's, that's Ozzy shit, you know? Yeah. And so, so it's Ozzy, X, and Led Zeppelin. The bass to rock and roll is like the same to, to possess the skate. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he's pushing the rhythm with this. Dun, 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 you know? Now, what's, what's interesting, and I wanted to ask you about this, because suicidal, it can't really be categorized. People say it's punk, thrash, metal. But what the hell does that really mean? Yeah. Is there is there a, a box that, or a term that you don't like when people describe that music? Is thrash okay? Well, to the question, answer to your question, and and while I was recording, this this engineer would always say, "That's punk." I'm like, you, "We're not punk, fool." You don't like punk? I love punk, okay. but we're not punk. We're like kind of crossover you know what i mean yeah because if you say you're punk there's a lot of bands that sound like shit that's right well especially in the early 80s because i mean god bless a lot of those orange county bands punk bands but you don't sound like them well, that's because we're rock and roll remember i start off with all those rock and roll bands <laughs> i was just i was just speeding it up adding a gallop to it you know were I mean? you listening to black flag or yeah i got i love black flag i like um I like the religion. Uh-huh. I like the adolescents. I like the jerks. Yeah. They just played the other day in the desert. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. I heard. And so um, I wanted a record. When we did a record, I go, look, when I was, when we did it, you know, I go, man, I just I just wanted a production like like adolescence production, like Amoeba. You know that song? No. Amoeba. Anyway. The production and the guitars were like, you know, they were doing actual leads. It sounded like a, like rock, hard rock, you know what I mean? Which was rare for punk rock. Yeah, but the, 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 punk, rock, the punk rock aspect of it, I think, was a singer, you know, singing like that. So they had, you know, dynamics. So, but... Um, but also, it didn't seem to me that there was a lot of Mexican-based punk rock either. So Mexican-based punk rock. 
I don't know of a Mexican punk rock band. Do you? Well, now there's lots of them. Now, but in the 80s, it was all white boys. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, there was that, that band, the Zero Boys from San Diego. They were, they were I think, all Chicano. They were badass. Uh -huh. They were, like, early from the 70s. Uh, but, yeah, there wasn't that many. There was, you know, this started more and more, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, it was a tough gig for the Mexicans <laughs> in the punk rock days, but I... Uh, well, I it would be probably intimidating to be on stage and you see literal skinheads out there. Like, is that the dynamic that you want? Well, I mean, later we had a lot of beef with skins, and it's it's all cool now. But, you know, I played. We were in Minneapolis, and it was skins, man. And they were just like, I don't know why they were there if they wanted to start fights. <laughs> but, like, I'm here, I'm over there playing, and some guy, you know, throws a handful of shattered glass in my face while I'm playing. What? Yeah. And I kept rocking. like, ah, fuck you. you Good know? for you. Oh, yeah. They couldn't do shit, dude. They all threatened and... And we never stopped the show. Oh, we're going to jump up on the stage and gut Mike's heart out. Or we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're going to shoot that place or bomb it. Whatever, we're still playing. We're young. We wanted it. We like fighting, you know, 21, <laughs> 22, 23. You were down. And, we, and we're, all, we're all our own security, you know what I mean? And we had one, we had a couple of guys that were just our friends that from the neighborhood are badass motherfuckers. You don't fuck with these dudes. We took them on the road, you know? <laughs> um, Tiny was like a roadie who was... The biggest black dude you ever seen, dude. <laughs> and uh, he took care of business, man. Many times. Also, I mean, and this is one reason I wanted to do this podcast. The image of Venice to a guy in Minnesota wasn't you. They probably no. thought uh, a, a net. Well, it, 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 if you're lucky, they thought about skateboarders. But I'm saying they probably thought about all these beach movies from the 50s. Yeah. And the Beach Boys. So... I would never step to a, a man from Venice, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, you know, if you're cool, we're cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Were you born in Venice, like the song says? I was born in Santa Monica because Venice had no hospital. And I was conceived next door. And when I got released from you're, the hospital. Right over here? You're, yeah, next door. So you are conceived in Venice. But that's, I, not, that's not a great rock song. Which one? Conceived in Venice. Oh, no. Born in Venice, well, you know. You know. I sit here and I tell you how, how it happened. Like, came home from the hospital and I was right there. So, you know, it's a nice hook. It is a nice hook. And it's a good song. Born yeah. in Venice. Straight up one trek. One tress. One tress. One three. One three. So Venice, is that... Venice trece. Is that, uh, uh, is that a gang? It's a gang. Unique to Venice? Yep. Is it is it affiliated with the MS-13s? No. So it's a different 1-3. Yeah. Okay. 1-3 means Sureños, the south part of California. Oh. Northern California is 1-4. Why? I don't know. It just is. It just is. Their color is red, our color is blue. Huh. I'm learning something. Yeah. So Northern Cal is 1-4. Southern Cal is one three, but if I want to put a little Latino thing on it, I say one tres. One tres. One, one tres. One tres. Or uno tres. Or one tres. Okay. Thank you. It's the Wild West. Okay. One tres. Is it wild now? Not so, uh, you know, it's calmed down because the whole gentrification thing. Yeah. And, um... 
Except your block here seems to have kept it real. Yeah, I mean... I don't see any McMansions over here. Uh, I see no, one around there, the I mean, corner. There, there, there's definitely... I mean, you know, you got, you got a few hundred thousand dollars to afford anything. Have that a year to afford anything here. You know what I mean? Right. We're old school. We're just holding on for dear life. You know Are what you? I mean? Yeah. So, and okay, we're okay. We're good. Yes. But a lot of families, you know, just, you know, wow, we're going to get $350,000? They fucking big dummies in the beginning of the market in the late 90s. You know what I mean? Right. So, I got my real estate license. So I, Do you really? Yeah. I can buy a house from you. You could. Actually, this, it, it just went out. But yes, I, I know all the jargon. I know everything what to do. I know if you never wanted anything, just let me know. You know how to do all the paperwork. I don't do the paperwork. I have a Margaret Gazy that does all my transactions, escrow so, paperwork. So your job is just to sell them? To, to sell them. I'll sit them. Um, I'll, I'll get the listing. Let's talk about, um, about how Venice has changed. Obviously, there's gentrification. Has anything improved? When you look at Venice today, and it looks like you got a, a new, fresh tattoo yeah. that says Venice. Yeah. You rep Venice everywhere. I, I see it on this plant over here. I didn't. That's Mikos <laughs> wrote that. But yeah. So you're very proud of where you're from, which you should be. Yeah. Is there anything that's improved for the better? Well, I mean, here, there's a lot less gangs activity, gunshots and... You know, it's still Safer. out there. People are still getting smoked. Yep. And, um, but it's mellowed out a lot. Before, I mean, it was basically minorities here. It was Mexicans and blacks. And if you're white, you had to be a badass motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? And there was a handful of those. My boy Kush right here. Oh, wow. You got a tattoo of him. Yeah. Let me, let me see a little better. Kush. Oh, wow. And he was a badass motherfucker. He would knock people out. And yeah. He would sell keys. And that's part of my downfall because we started, we started hanging out when I was in Suicide, Tennessee because he was doing his thing and he was hanging out with rock stars at that point. And I was, I was showing off, you know, we'd take him <gasps> on tour to some places. So when you say he was selling keys. Yeah, of cocaine. Kilos. Kilos. So big mounts. Yeah. And so like we go on party and then it was funny because I had a room next door to the singer. I'll, use, I'll just say the singer. And uh, I was banging bras left and right. And we got a song on the radio, MTV, and we're running around with guns, shooting guns off, you know, scaring people. It was stupid. Why did you guys have guns? Just to be cool? No, because, you know, we like guns. And Do you still like guns? Yeah, I have, I have guns. I just don't carry them around like I used to carry them around, you know? Uh, okay, let's talk about the girls. Because to me, that's the main reason to join a band. Yeah. I can't imagine a lot of chicks at a suicidal show in the early days. No, but when there was, it was it was fun. <laughs> I mean, there was, of course, male testosterone-driven band, I guess. But, uh, the, you know, the, the, a lot of, there were a lot of suicidal chicks, too, especially here in this west side. But when we went on the tours, they'd be in the back. All the dudes were in the front because they're all slamming and shit. And you know we're all we're all young and horny and shit. You know we we'd send Tiny out, one of the bouncer guys, and give this pass to that girl. See her right there, right there, with those hoops. Get her. And a lot of times it'd come back. You know we'd have a good old time. And you'd finally 
had a taste of fame. Oh yeah. Was yeah, that, you know. Wait, wait, let me. Was it as great as we were hoping it would be? When you're practicing your bass in this basement, greater. It was better. Yeah. How so? Well, I mean, because I was. It was me. Now you know what I mean. I waited my turn, and um, you know, I just I remember like you know when Led Zeppelin the movie, you know, because I I love that movie. When they're in the limousine and they're just like, they they're just fucking rock stars. Well, when we got picked up at London Heathrow Airport, they picked us up in a fucking Mercedes limo, and I was like, and I held my head back like I was fucking Robert Plant. It was like. There's a picture of me somewhere in the limousine, <laughs> but yeah, that you know that was that was beautiful. I mean, they they made us like stars. Stayed in nice hotels, you know what I mean. And here in America, we, we're always at NBC Suites. <laughs> I liked NBC Suites. I like it. Yeah, so I mean, but downstairs. I was a poor kid, you know. That was that was like, all of a sudden I'm 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 not rich, but I'm like, you know. I'm something. I'm a somebody. You know what I mean? Even if I didn't have a super amount of money, I'll, you know, people are kissing ass and helping me out. But I'm kissing your ass. I'm bringing you gifts. I'm trying to... Yeah, thank you, man. Well, I mean, <laughs> but back then, it was just like I was, you know, 21. I was 20 when it came out. Right. 20 when it blew up. And then yeah. after that, for eight, seven, eight years, I was like, you know, we get back, girls back in the backstage area... They're sitting in the middle of the fucking room sucking my dick. People walking around. She don't give a fuck. I'm drinking my, you know, I was, you know, I was drinking alcohol and drinking alcohol. And that was like, you know, I'm like, damn, this is fucking, this is great. Or, you know, lining up your bitch to come with you on the on the bus to the next city. You know what I'm saying? Stay in your little cubicle with her. That's <laughs> fucking great, dude. Yo, I came home from work the other day. I was tired. I just wanted to sit back in my big chair and play a little Xbox. You know, relax a little. Then my wife comes in. She starts telling me I play too much Xbox. I said, what the fuck do you mean? This is just how I relax. Can I just play a little Xbox? Then she says, I saw an Oprah today that guys that play video games don't love their wives. I'm like, motherfucking bitch, fuck Oprah. I don't give a fuck. I just want to play my video game. I don't give a fuck about Oprah. Oprah ain't got no man. You better worry about your motherfucking self. I just want to kill some motherfuckers on Xbox. She said, you seem like you have an anger problem. Maybe you need some help. I'm like, bitch, call the police now. You want to be in suit July? You come out, brainwash, bloodshot eyes. You want to have anything to say, they'll brainwash you, GC, they wait. I'm not crazy Institution You're the one that's crazy Institution You drive me crazy Institution You put me in the institution Said it was your solution What the hell's going on with your drunk socks, dude? With my what? My socks? Drunk socks I'm kidding, man I'm You kidding. taught us punk rock meant be yourself <laughs> Yeah Does that mean Does that what it means to you? Punk rock? Do your own thing? Don't have a uniform? Be yourself? Yeah, don't have a uniform. Be yourself, or we kind of had our uniform. We all had our style of wearing stuff, you know. One one of the, one of the bits of the uniform of suicidal is the. It was really a painter's cap. I remember from the eighties. Yeah. But it, then it turned into a baseball cap where you you pull the 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 lip up. 
Flip it up. And then you, you write suicidal in, in like, mm-hmm. Old English Gothic. I don't see that much anymore. But I see it in your videos, and I like that. I see, you know, you know videos of people walking around with suicidal hats. Right. T-shirts. You were, you were showing me a base in there that you had to sell, and somehow you got it back. Yeah, or I pawned it, and I, I got it back a few, a few years later, yeah. This is a, a fretless Fender P bass. Jazz bass. The Fender Jazz that was given to me by Amory Smith, the original drummer for Suicide Tennessee's. Yeah, I had a pawn it, wasn't able to get it out. I was like, fuck. And, you know, like I said, years went by, maybe even more than three. But And a new owner. They changed owners. And I walked in there one day, and there's this fucking bass. I'm like, wait, is that my fucking bass? I took a picture of that bass on the wall, the headstock, and the red wires. And I had pictures from before when I had it. And I matched the pictures up, you know, or the, whatever the shots. I go, that's the bass. I went there and got it cheaper than what I... <laughs> so I was really, you know, happy I was able to get the Beastie Boys bass back in my hands. What's the relationship to the Beastie Boys? Emery Smith, the drummer, uh, was there. Uh, he played their punk songs live, I think, and he was like a, a drum roadie. A roadie, he did everything. He did percussions with them, with Bobo. Oh, yeah. Willie Bobo. or uh, Yeah. So... But yeah, he was just part of the crew, you know. Was... Were you into the Beastie Boys? Yeah. Did you like their rap as well as their punk rock? Well, I I, I knew most of the, the rap. Right. Like in 80 or 79 or 80. The it first was... album. Yeah, but I saw it on, I, I, the first time I saw it, I saw the video. Fight for the Right to Party? No, the first one. They oh, did... she's on it. She's on Where they're it. on the beach. They're on the beach. Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> The fuck? I was in high school. They're they're maybe a little bit older than me or something, but well, but but to me when I saw that, I was like, they're ripping off Run DMC. Little did I know Rick Rubin's producing all of them, they're all friends. And yeah, they are kind of ripping off Run DMC a little. Is that what you thought too? No. <laughs> I was just like these fuck I just when I heard that I was just like they're having so much fun. You know, the song is a cool song. And it's just like, lucky motherfuckers, man. You tapped into something. You know what I'm saying? I, I looked at it as, as like, you know, success. That one video, and then I started hearing more and more about them and seeing more. Than, that one album came out with the ship on the, the airplane on it. License to Ill. Yeah, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> okay, so... Um... So, so your bass has a, a direct lineage to the Beastie Boys, which has got to be amazing. Um, but um, your song Institutionalized now has lineage to another 80s rapper, Ice-T. Have you heard Body Count's new yeah. version of Institutionalized? Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? I love it. I think uh, I think it's really good. The, the guitar leads, the matches. It's different lyrics. It's more modern. But musically, I think... Um, I think they nailed it, man. Had you seen Body Count live before? Years ago at the Coconut Teaser. Remember the Coconut Teaser? I do. Which yeah. was kind of a shitty place. Oh, it was great. I, we ran that place. It was our place. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You get, Suicidal played there a lot? No. Uh, I, went out, I was in another band called Horny Toad after Suicidal. Okay. I, I, uh, I joined in 89, right like after Suicidal. I see. And uh, Ice-T. 
And then, uh, and then uh, you know, it was, because I was I was really hurt when I was out of that band. It kind of right ruined my identity for a minute. So you're saying that that you've lost your identity in some way? Well, yeah, because I was like you know part of the band, the coolest band that was out there at the time, punk rock or crossover or whatever. And uh, so I I joined the ska band. Right? It was like ska funk, whatever. Just because. Uh, you know, I don't want to be associated with the with the with the metal stuff, you know, or rock. So you intentionally picked a different style. Yeah, and 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 what I liked about it, <clears throat> I was learning a whole different songwriting style with with this band. It was mainly originals, and it was it was badass shit. So we did okay. We put out a record in '96 or seven. How long did this depression last? I'd say till about when I joined Lucidal. When I started Lucidal. When was that? 2013 or 10? What was it? 2013 or 10? What? So almost 10 years. Yeah. No, I, I, it was, uh, it, it fucked with my head a lot. And then I had a girl, a hot, cute chick, just fucking all my friends. Really? Oh, dude. It was, and I was just like, and then I got this girl. I'm not going to say it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Isn't but there the a... band thing really fucked me up, dude, because right. was. It, it came way left field. You didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. It was funny. Were you fighting with the band? Yeah, we fought a little bit, but I think that was gonna happen. But uh, it's um. Bands fight. Yeah. How did it go down? Did Mike tell you? Did they? Yeah. Well, we all. We all um. We're having a practice, and I was the last one to go in there. I walked in with my cereal, and Mike's sitting down. And all the guys are sitting on the drum riser, you know. Hey, what's up? I'm like, what's going on? He's hey, uh, we're going to get another bass player. I'm, everything's sunk. I go, what do you mean? We need another bass player. We need a better bass player. Like, what are you fucking talking about? And we just went back and forth, and, you know, it, that was it. It was, uh, everybody said their little piece. Guys that I got in the band, they actually didn't say much. They had their head down. Because I helped get all those guys in the back. Because I was the musical musical director, I thought, up until that. Because I was the longest dude. I wrote the best tracks. And I got the drummer in. I got the guitar player in. And I got the rhythm. Mike, we just got Mike Clark in months before that. Well, I did that. You know, we just signed an epic deal. Epic Records. And um, uh, they didn't tell me until... I even signed on the contract. Uh, but it wasn't like um, I didn't go to record in there. I was showing all the guys the songs were all getting you know, a lot. I wrote like nine or ten songs, nine songs. I got credit for six, maybe. But, but it was fucked up because I had to show all these guys the songs. And once I showed them all the songs, then we had the meeting and they kicked me out. That was heartbreaking, dude. It was fucked up. I had $2,000 in my account and I had to go work. I remember that summer. Because uh, it, it was May, May 31st. So I was telling everybody, hey, I got kicked out. April Fool. Go, no, for reals. I'm out of the van. It, was, it happened on April 1st? Well, I mean, no, like the day before. Oh, man. So, you know, I was just like, and we, Mike, we, you know, we're neighbors living together at the skateboard shop. So, um, yeah, that summer I had, a, uh, I had to do labor work. I was working fucking on a roof in Calabasas, ripping the fucking tile off. I remember just 
with the shovel, you know, because I had it, and it was like, all the flies, you know. It was super hot. And it wasn't until the internet and years later I found out what they were doing at the time when I was working that roof. They were doing the Monsters of Fucking Rock with Metallica and their whole new sound, you know. They had this other bass player, Chris Heathcote, that wasn't really a, a funker guy, you know. But they replaced me real quick. And for a minute, I played in his old band, Uncle Slam. So go figure. What helped you get out of it? This funk, this depression. I mean, being 10 able, years? Being was... able to play my music and just... Well, was it really just enough. time? That, and having that... kids, man, that was more more important. Than just, you know, um, it shifted my fo- you know, the focus. But it was dark, dude. It was, it was pretty bad back there. Did it make you start drinking for a little while, or? Oh yeah, everything. I, drug Drugs. addict, drug addict, everything. You know. Um, was it hard when you would hear suicidal music on the radio or on TV? Did that hurt you? No, because it was all shit that I did. So you still f- felt proud. I was, I was proud, and then so it wasn't until like two thousand. Nine, ten. I saw them down like in Long Beach, and they're playing all my songs. I was, and then I was like, I thought I was a, I thought I was a shitty bass player. Why, why are they still playing my shit? And I was kind of pissed. You know, their last song was you know Pleasure Allegiance, one of my, one of my songs. You know what I mean? I'm just like, and everyone got up on the stage, and it was just, uh, it was fucked up. But I, I, I sued him in '92, but I didn't sue him after that. So. What was the basis of the suit in 92? My publishing money. That I w- you weren't getting royalties? Yeah. So I had to sue the Lisa Fancher. Yeah. And then I sued uh, Mike. Yeah. Did you win? Well, like I said, I, I won some things. And I lost them. There was a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like the name. He, it was half my name because he gave me and you are the owners of this shit. You know what I'm saying? Before things went south. So I was just trying to get some shit back, you know what I mean? What's your advice to uh, young Louis out there uh, in bands who are co-writers of great songs? So, I mean, you you do realize Institutionalized is a classic, classic song that's going to live forever. You hear that, cabron? <laughs> you hear that? Am I wrong, though? No, you're right. That's as a long real... as there, I figure as long as there's... Young white kids, young you know kids in the thrash, Mexicans, whatever. They're just, always they're gonna go through that suicidal. They're gonna it's it's part of the you know encyclopedia of rock. You know what I'm saying? It's, you gotta go through it. And what's interesting about this encyclopedia? I mean, we're older guys now. These young kids aren't wearing T-shirts from the 2000s or from 10 years ago. It seems like there's a, a very small sliver of rock and roll that people are today are referencing it's maiden zeppelin that's right uh, you know ozzy acdc it, it's it's very small but the same with punk rock west coast punk you can name them all it seems like the era that you were in is really going to live forever and right after Nirvana, that kind of era almost dies. You know, nobody's referencing any of that stuff. Bands that had come out in the 2000s, I mean, 
Who who are legends of th th those bands? Maybe Arcade Fire at the most. Of what two thousand? Right, of, of after yeah. two thousand, right? Two thousand and older. Oh yeah. And so it's like, but you say the white kids, but again, Ice T, the opposite of a white kid, yeah. is covering your song. Yeah. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's Ice T, and he's doing a thrash band, and I, I heard an interview where he talks about he wanted a a, a band that was a style like suicidal and, and you know. And the energy like Slayer, you know what I'm saying? He's, yeah, so. It's got to make you feel great. So what advice do you have for the kids today who are writing songs? What should they do that you wish you had done? Take their shit more serious. Uh, it's not about the cheap thrills. You know, chasing pussy and doing drugs. It's Riding not, with low riders. It's not? That sounds that sounds fun. All that stuff. No, fun. but it's fun if you're at the, if you're at the helm. But if you're underneath and the guy at the helm is kind of soberish and kind of hating, you know what I mean? Then you know, just fucking be, take your shit more seriously. And especially if you're a good writer, you write some good shit. Then take take your shit serious and don't uh don't be fucking around too much. You can, but you know, you can't do two two great things. You know, you can't party great, hard, you know, everything, and write music great. I guess you can, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be funny at the end. A veces trato de hacer cosas y no salen como yo quiero. Y me frustro mucho y trato de hacerlo con calma. Me tomo mi tiempo y no sale como yo quiero. Es como que me concentro mucho y no sale bien. Y todo lo que hago y todo lo que intento nunca sale bien. Como que necesito tiempo para entender las cosas, pero siempre hay alguien ahí diciendo, hey Ceci, hemos notado que has tenido muchos problemas últimamente, ¿sabes? Quizá deberías alejarte y hablar con alguien, quizá te sientas mucho mejor. Y yo les digo, no, está bien, yo lo arreglo, déjenme sola, yo me las arreglo. Lo estoy trabajando yo sola. Y me dicen, pues ya sabes, si quieres platicar aquí estoy, ¿sabes? Y probablemente te sientas mucho mejor si lo hablas. Así que, ¿por qué no lo hablas? Y yo les digo, no, no quiero, estoy bien, yo lo resolveré sola. Pero no dejan de molestar, y no dejan de molestar, y se acumula dentro. Te van a internar, tus ojos se apagarán, no sabrás ya qué decirte para Let me ask you about your Spanish version of of uh, institutionalized. In the video, which I love, that's you as as the dad, right? Yeah. You don't look anything like that now. Where I'm sitting, I'm sitting in front of you. You look like a cool a cool dude, but in this video, you're wearing like what? I was uh, trying to be like Cindy Lauper's dad, and girls just want to have fun. Remember the wrestler guy? I'm like this. <laughs> I try to be, I try to be him. Well, you pulled it off. Yeah. Was that I've fun to make? A little bit of weight since. Was that was that a fun video to make? Yeah, it was cool. Who's, My, the, who's the young lady? Uh, she's Ceci Bautista. She's from a band called Tijuana No, and she's a solo artist now. And she still plays with Tijuana No. What's weirder, that you can grow weed in front of your house or that there's a Whole Foods two blocks away? Both equally as weird because, you know, the weed... We never saw that coming either, did we? No. We knew in, in, in theory that it should be legal. We knew in theory that we could get weed anytime we wanted to. The law was stupid. 
All it does is put people in jail. Yeah. And we knew that all this ever does to us is make us happy and laugh. It doesn't hurt anybody. And it's, kind of, it's medicinal, too, you know? So weed is just as weird for you as the Whole Foods up the street. But you got to remember, man, I lived through the gent gentrification. Every, there's nothing around here OG. There's not that many spots anymore. Oh. Fucking Rose is bougie now. You know what I mean? Kidding me? <laughs> what did it used to be for people who weren't here? It was, uh, you know, part of the hood. I seen dead people on the street there. Straight up laid out dead. In front of the clinic right across 6th. And it was, uh, it was a hood, you know? There's this thing that I never knew about until I started this podcast called uh, AWOL. Anything west of Lincoln. Always west of Lincoln. Always west of Lincoln. Always west of Lincoln. Is that something that, that was a thing when you were in high school? Or is that no, a... that was like some girl started saying that. I was like, AWOL, because AWOL is the drummer from Suicide Tennessee. That's his nickname. And Beastie Boys. I go, AWOL. <laughs> Give me an name range. She goes, no. Always west of Lincoln, what? The other yeah, if you go past, like, if you're like a Venetian over here on the west side, if you have to go past the Boulevard, you're like, <sighs> you don't want to go past the Boulevard or Setanella. It's like, everything's here. So yeah, but still, but, but remember, everything's cheaper the farther east you go. Right. Like, my friend will drive all the way to fucking South Central to get his car washed for eight bucks. I got to pay 20 like a big dummy. And tip them. There's no cheap place to get your car washed in, in Venice? I just said, this, yeah, you gotta pay 20, 20 bucks. bucks. 20, 24 bucks. Wow. Let's talk about the beach real quick. Okay. Because um, that album cover. Which one? The uh, Suicide Tennessee's? The real album cover that yeah. everybody thinks about where you guys are hanging upside down. That was in, uh, not in Venice, it was in um, Doc Weiler Beach. You know Doc Weiler Beach? Oh, by the ship pipes for where Manhattan. They, where uh, uh, where LAX. Yeah. yeah, yeah, LAX flies over that, there. That, yeah, exactly. The, there used to be. That's where that thing was. That playground, that jungle gym thing. Yeah, and we all just went on there, and you know, we got tied down with real ropes, no boots, you know, little fucking snowboarding boots. Nah, it was rope. Look at, and it's funny if you look at that picture. They. They tied me up, and then they kind of knotted all the way down to make sure I didn't go because I was the heaviest cat. And if you look, you'll see the double the rope lining up with the pipes <laughs> going down. So it seems like the only thing that has been able to sustain gentrification is the Venice Beach Boardwalk. I still get the same vibe that of 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 all types of people, freaky yeah, people. Yeah, but that place is always like a revolving door, dude. People, you know, not unless you own it. You know, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. You know what I mean? Not so much here, but over there. Even that little neighborhood by the beach, it's like, you know. We were in Venice, you know, where they're renting a spot for fucking, you know, four months and they're gone. You've been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wasn't he great? You know who else is great? Our Patreons, who tickle our fancies. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a six-pack of Pepsis. Here's a compact disc. Here's my COVID relief check. 
you need it more than we do. Every buck you hand over to us keeps this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Allie Miller, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, George Wright, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, and Ben Welsh. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA. And give till it hurts! Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you have to do is PayPal $25 or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website forever, and also give you a shout out. We'll also give you a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. Number three, Rita Joanne. Number four, Jason Sutter. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you're broke AF, as the kids say? You still can help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Tweet something nice about this. Tell your friends. Show your friends how to even use the podcast app on their phones. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled H-E-A-R. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and the man who meticulously got many of the airplane sounds out of this mix, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. We're truly going to every neighborhood in L.A. I know you don't believe it. I might be 10,000 years old by the time we're done, but we're going to go. There's a few more people to talk to in Venice, and I think you're going to be very pleasantly surprised by who you've got. Then, we're headed over to historic Filipino town. If you know someone as cool as Luigi in historic Filipino town, tell them to write me at Tony at TonyPierce.com. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen Adams for inspiring me, and Mike for hooking us up with his incredible uncle. You kicked ass voting!